In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and was wondering what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful for the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is the name, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rules from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. Remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. God, how you captivate our 
something really pretty cool about young people reading the Word of God? Even Charlie Brown knew it, right? 
Pretty cool. Hey, uh, let me pray. Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for um, the worship today, the time to uh, lift you up in song. I'm grateful for how you reveal yourself to me in scripture and in the words, and I pray that that would be all of our experience today, Lord. Help us to be overcome by the presence of your love. Help us to comprehend the depth of your love. Lord, if we take nothing else out of this room today, may we just take a greater sense of your presence and your care and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, last week I had this um, opportunity to speak to a group of business guys about Eagle Children's Charities, Eagle Sports, and SOAR. And uh, before I went in there to talk to them, I had to decide what I was going to say, go figure. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about um, Eagle Sports and that idea that God had given Meg and I and how far it's come over the last 16, 17 years and just really... Um, it just was a good, good time for me to, to remember all that God had done. But then I also started to think about where I was when I walked through the doors of this church. Meg and I started coming to here over 20 years ago, and uh, my marriage was a wreck, and uh, my priorities were pretty screwed up, and I really had no idea how to really walk out this thing called faith and uh, walked in here. And uh, just thinking about my story, just, you know, the truth of the matter is thinking about Eagle Sports, thinking about my, my life. Um, it was very calming. It was very much a reminder uh, that God's been doing something all along. As a matter of fact, I had these moments as I was thinking about what I was going to say where I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, God did that. And all that was just a good reminder. And it's not like I forget. And I didn't forget my known story. It's my story. I, I tell it all the time, right? But, but I think I forgot to pay attention to what God had done. I remembered the story, but I stopped marveling at the work of God uh, in my life and in my family's life, and uh, it was a pretty cool thing. And the fact is, um, I believe this is something we're all guilty of. So I say it all the time, uh, we are all at risk of this, but familiarity breeds complacency. When we become so familiar with a story, we stop marveling at the hand of God and, and everything that, that's gone on. So something spectacular can happen in our lives and we tell the story and at first we're in wonder of God and, and all that he's done, but over time it's just another story that we tell. And the truth of the matter is, I think that can often be the case with Christmas. It is a surprising, inspirational, wondrous, jaw-dropping story, but the question is, is that how you experience it? Do you really experience the Christmas story with that kind of Oh, you know, the story of baby Jesus is told in the same breath, in the same way, and responded to often the same way as the story of Santa Claus or the story of Rudolph. But we all know by the very fact that we're sitting in here uh, that they're not the same stories at all, right? So what I want to just encourage you to is to not allow the familiarity of the Christmas story to drown out the, the true message of Christmas. And the question we had to ask ourselves is, well, what is the message of Christmas? And the truth is, if I were to give out a piece of paper to each one of you and have you write down, what do you think the message of Christmas is, and take all those pieces of papers, we would get hundreds of different responses to that question. As a matter of fact, the answer to those questions probably could create some level of debate among us as we try to figure out, well, well, what is the message of Christmas? 
So I thought about that, but I also began to think about, well, well what are words that we associate with Christmas? So I made a, a good, thorough list of words that I think are associated with Christmas, and this is my list. Baby, booze, I know, I'm pastor, but some people associate it with Christmas. Cakes, candy, carols, cookies, decorations, elves, excitement, fa-la-la-la, and I know that's not a word, just go with me here. Feast, generosity, happy, ho-ho-ho, joyful, jolly, Jesus, laughing all the way, pretty lights, being merry, presents, shopping, toys, trees, and time off of work. I expected somebody to clap for the time off of work thing anyway. Hoo-hoo-hoo. And I don't know about you, but you read all these words, and you, how can you help but be happy, right? These are happy words. These are words that should evoke something. But the truth is, for many of us, if the season is hard, if the season is difficult, the, the list of words actually, up here actually make us feel worse because the world is saying, hey, you need to be happy, but somehow in the midst of all of the chaos that we're experiencing, life doesn't feel all that fa-la-la-la-la, and then we're kind of in this weird place of disequilibrium. So I want to just get real for a minute and practice being a church without curtains, which basically just means we want to be a church where we're honest and recognize that for some of you, Christmas is really hard. It reminds you of somebody that you've lost, somebody that may have passed away, or somebody that's gone. For me, Christmas is hard this year with the boys being in China. It's just hard. So that list is hard for me to Feel follow la la la. But we know that Christmas just stirs some things up. I've been saying this all week, but Christmas trees are great. Family trees, eh. <laughs> right? Family trees sometimes stir up some deep stuff, right? It's it's that dysfunction and and you know there's there's arguing, there's divorce in our family tree, there's there's all kinds of stuff. And then something happens when we all come together over the holiday season. It's sort of like everything just gets turned up a few notches. So all that dysfunction is even more dysfunctional. And we're in there, but we're supposed to feel fa-la-la-la-la, but we're in the midst of all this family weirdness. And Christmas is hard. And sometimes I think we just pretend. And some of you are thinking this is the most depressing Christmas message <laughs> I've ever heard. And I promise I'm going to move through this pretty quickly and we'll get on to the, the good news. But I just want us to be honest. And realize that it's not, it's not all fa-la-la-la-la. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from a guy named James Houston. He's a great thinker on discipleship and Christianity. He says, I want to be a Christian, but in spite of that, I want to be honest. We want this church to be a place where you can just be honest. And if this is a hard season for you, then we want you to be able to say, this is a hard season for me. And not to have to put on a good Christian face and pretend and just go through the motions. But here's the truth. I, I believe to the core of who I am, that, that God wants something different than uh, for us. That if we could hold on to the message of Christmas, the real message of Christmas, that, that God will meet us exactly where we are, even if you're giddy or you're a little bit down in this season, that God has something very special for you, even through the rest of this message that, that I think could be uh, a pretty powerful thing. What instead of all those words that I have on, had up on the screen, we held on to something really different this year. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a deeper look at Mary's song, the song that the young girl read for us. So, so what we heard was the backdrop of the story and then Mary's song. This is kind of known in, in circles as the Magnificent. So if you ever heard that, that pronounced, it's just the Latin word for magnify. It's Mary's song that's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. So if you like to follow along, and I encourage you to do that, it's a great way to remember more. Take some notes if you want to, but Luke... Uh, Chapter 1, 46 through 55. And what I want you to remember is, is this, this Magnificent comes directly after this amazing invitation. 
So Mary is given this invitation to accept Jesus into her being, right? That you're going to be given a son, that, that, that she's, she's invited. We want you to take Jesus into your being. And that invitation is going to change the trajectory of her life. That invitation changes everything from that moment forward. There is this amazing invitation. And the thing that's astonishing is God gives us the same invitation. He says, I would like you to take my son. And if you're willing to take my son, it will change the trajectory of your life. As a matter of fact, Mary had to give up control of her own destiny and entrust it to this one decision. And that's what we do when we accept Jesus into our lives. As we say, okay, it's not about my destiny. It's about accepting a new person into my life, the person of Jesus. And now my destiny is in your hands. So we're given the same invitation. And if we're given the same invitation, then in fact, the, the song that we're about to read, Mary's song, can be our song. Let me say that more personally. Mary's song can be your song. And if that's the case, what I'd like to do with the time we have left is I'd like to help you to understand, well, what is Mary's song? So it starts in, in verse 46. It says, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of, his humble, of the humble state of his servant. I want you to stop and and remember and put this, this whole story into perspective. Mary is probably 13 or 14 years old. What we do know is that she's very young. She's a virgin. And she lives in a culture that stones young girls who get pregnant out of wedlock. Not a pretty picture of what is to be anticipated. This is a shame-based culture, and she knows that what's about to happen is going to bring great shame on her, and not just on her, but on her, her family. She's engaged to a, a young man, and it's pretty likely that the young man's going to leave her. I mean, after all, who's going to believe the story, right? It's, I'm a virgin and I'm pregnant, right? So she has to know that, that, that even though it doesn't play out this way in her, in her heart, she has to know that this could go pretty bad for me. And it's pretty good odds that Joseph is going to turn his back on me and, and leave me. But it's in the midst of knowing that. There's no way she could not know that. It's a culture she lives in. And, and in the midst of that, she writes these words. She says, my soul, my very breath, everything that I am glorifies the Lord. I had a pretty tough week this week. And I have to tell you, in the midst of my struggles, in the midst of, of all that I was going through, my first reaction was not, my soul glorifies the Lord. But it should have been. When I sat down Tuesday morning and started studying the Song of Mary, I realized whatever I'm going through, I needed to glorify the Lord as Mary glorified the Lord. I needed a song in my spirit like Mary's song. And I don't want you to get me wrong, I had a song, but my song was a little bit more of a blues song, a little bit more of a maybe a country song. But Mary's song, it's a different sort of song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Some of your translations, if you have something other than the NIV, may say, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's why we call it the Magnificat, the same word. As a matter of fact, uh, the rest of this song is Mary's soul magnifying or glorifying the Lord. So what she's saying is, my soul glorifies the Lord, and let me tell you why, and let me tell you how my soul magnifies the Lord. So that's the rest of the song. But the original word there that, that we translate glorify or magnify, it literally means to make bigger. So magnify is probably the better translation. But what she's saying is, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul makes God bigger. Just think about that for a minute. 
my soul makes, Mary's saying, my soul makes God bigger. Now, how could Mary's soul make God bigger? I mean, God's pretty big, right? I mean, he's God. And does he actually become bigger because of something Mary does? No, Mary doesn't have the ability to make God actually bigger than he is. So what does it mean my soul magnifies or my soul glorifies the Lord? And the best way I can explain it is like this. We, we have these slides that we put onto PowerPoint and then we project them onto the screen, right? And we put them through those projectors and they come up on the screen and the words are bigger and we do that, why? So that you can see them, so that you can read them, so that you can sing along, so that you can follow along when we're reading. Uh, one of the other good examples I have of this is when some of us get older, we need a little bit of help and so when we try to read, we put on readers. Yeah, the people, some of you are waving them right now. And some of you are like, Man, I forgot mine and I can't see a darn thing. But what do readers do? Do readers actually make the text bigger? No, the text stays the same thing. It makes it bigger in your mind. It makes it bigger in your ability to see it. So when you put on your readers, you magnify the words so that you can understand them, so that you can internalize them, so that you can make sense of the words on the page. So when your soul magnifies the Lord, you are making God bigger in your understanding of him. He becomes more clear to you. And here's the coolest part. When you magnify the Lord and make him clear to you, you also magnify him to other people. People. So when we stand on the stage and we sing songs about God, we are magnifying the Lord. How are we doing that? Because we're making his character and, and who he is known to you. We are making who God is clear. God doesn't get bigger. He's as big as it gets. But your understanding of God, your ability to understand him and make him known to illuminate God, which is part of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be light in a dark world. That is the concept of, of glorifying or magnifying the Lord. It all comes down to how we respond. Mary's song magnified the Lord. My song at the beginning of the week, my nice blues song, not so much. So verse 48 she says, for he has been mindful of, his, of the humble state of his servant. So this is one of the truths about God that Mary knew that allowed her to respond to this amazing invitation in such a way as to magnify or glorify the Lord. She knew this truth about God. And the word that I want you to focus in on is the word mindful. God had Mary on his mind. Not Mary's people, although he had Mary's people on his mind too, but he had the ability to have Mary, Mary the person, individually on his mind. And Mary seemed to know that. She said, you were mindful of me, your humble servant. We see this picture of God as a personal God, God who, who has each one of us on his mind all the way throughout Scripture. So, so Jesus grows up. This is the, the birth scene that we're studying, but Jesus ends up growing up, and he ends up teaching the people about God's personal care, and he says these amazing words. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? But why do you worry about clothes? Or how, Look at the flowers of the field. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendors wasn't dressed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus says, don't worry. God sees you. 
God sees you as a person. He, he is mindful of you as an individual person. God sees you. He takes great interest in you. We see this throughout the Psalms, especially David in Psalm 8. He was marveling at creation. I had this, this picture of him looking at the birds of the air and maybe the flowers in the field. And he writes these amazing words. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? These are words of, of marvel, words of wonder that, that God is concerned. David is saying, I am so small, I am so insignificant, yet you care for me. You notice me. You are concerned about every aspect of my life. Mary says in her song, wow, you see me. You see me and you notice me. I am on your mind. And David is saying, wow, you, you see me. You notice me. I am particularly and individually on your mind. And remember what I said. Mary's song is your song. Mary's song is my song. And so God is mindful of you. Let me say that one more time. God is mindful of you. This is a profound truth worth hanging on to in the holiday season. This is a truth that will help you through the difficult parts of going through any season of your life. God is mindful of me individually. He's mindful of us as a church. He's mindful of us as a, as a people of, the, of, his, of his flock. But he is mindful of you. He knows you by name. And he is thinking about who you are. Mary responds by magnifying and glory of God because she knows God is mindful of, of me and, it, and that there's this picture of, of, of God thinking about her. But you know, the fact of the matter is just the fact that God is mindful of you isn't all that reassuring if God is not a God of love. As a matter of fact, it might be disconcerting. If he's a God of vengeance and he's mindful of you, you might want to duck, Right? So, so there's something that, that Mary knows about God that, that says, you're mindful of me and you care deeply for me. You love me in a way that's, 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 that's amazing to me. So jump down to verse 50, and I love this. She writes these words. She says, your mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 50 really is the core fact or truth to this entire song. As a matter of fact, I believe that verse 50 is the message of Christmas. That baby Jesus that comes to, to, to save the world, that's God's mercy that extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. When I was in college, I had to take a class that I didn't like very much. It was called English. And I spent, I, I spent an entire semester uh, reading news magazines like Time Magazine, other news magazines, and uh, what we had to do is we had to read every article in the magazine every week, and we had to circle everywhere there was loaded language. So if I didn't learn anything else in college, I learned what loaded language is. And loaded language is language that's, that's intended to produce an emotional response. So politicians are maybe the best or worst at this, depending on your perspective. But they would say something like, this is the most careless and reckless decision ever made by a president. Well, it's probably not the most careless and reckless decision made because there's been lots of presidents and they've made lots of dumb decisions. They've made good ones too, but the point is whatever they're talking about. So the words most careless and reckless is loaded language. It's meant to get you fired up. It's meant to get emotional response from you. And so loaded language isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's exactly what we need to make a point. So when Mary writes the words, his mercy extends to those who fear him, the word mercy is loaded language. 
Now, it's not loaded language for you and I because like the Christmas story, we probably take the word mercy for granted. Or maybe we never even really knew how much meaning is packed into that one word that Mary is using. But, but I'm guaranteeing you that when Mary wrote it and, and the day that she wrote it and any Jewish person reading it would have known exactly what she was writing. And it was very loaded with meaning. It was a powerful word. So, so I'm going to confuse you for a minute, but I'm going to tell you that I'm going to confuse you so this might make it less confusing. But bear with me for a minute. So Mary uses the word in Greek that we translate mercy. But the Greek word that she uses is the word used to describe the Hebrew word. See how confusing this is? So it's an English word. So it's a Greek word translated into English, which actually was this word to express the character of God. A Jewish person would have known the word. The word is keshed, H-E-S-E-D. And this keshed is like thematic in the Jewish people. They would have known how powerful the word is, but they would have known when she wrote the word mercy, she was leaning back into this, this Hebrew concept of keshed, this, this beautiful picture of God's character. And it's so important that we know God's character because when you know God's character, it changes everything. Because when you know how much God loves you, it allows you to endure difficulties with a different sort of perspective. The more you understand Keshed or, or God's character or God's love, the more you are able to navigate life and respond by glorifying God. So there's this, this central thing that we need to know that's so important. So this word, Keshed, I know I'm saying with a K, and that's because that's how Hebrews do it. So it's H-E-S-E-D, but pronounced Keshed. This word, or, or some... Uh, uh, derivative of this word is used 247 times in the Old Testament. When we see it in the Old Testament, we usually see the word mercy or abounding in love or unfailing love. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read some passages from the Old Testament. And every time I get to that word, I want to kind of point it out to you. So Psalm 136.1, which many of us know this, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his Mercy endures forever. Keshed, his, his unfailing love. Psalm 32.10, many are the woes of the wicked, but God's, or the Lord's unfailing love. He couldn't just say love. There's something more than just love going on here. So the, so the writer puts, or the translator puts unfailing love. Psalm 33, the Lord is righteous and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Psalm 86, the Lord is forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on him. Jeremiah says, you show love to the thousands. Joel says, rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and, re and relents from sending calamity. And here's the problem. We do not have an English word that describes what Mary is trying to describe when she writes the word that we interpret mercy. We do not have a word that captures all of this, this rich Hebrew word of kashet. It's this covenantial movement of God. So I want you to read this definition because it's pretty profound. Kashet, or what we see as mercy, is ever faithful, relentless, constant, pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of our Father God. I love that. I love that there's a, ooh, that's, a, that's good news. That is amazing news. By using one word, Mary captures this character of God with loaded language. She says, God, who is ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of a father God. 
The birth of Jesus was a display of kashed, of, of God's faithful, relentless, constant pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of a father God. Here's what you and I need to remember. The mercy and the, this love that, that Mary is pointing out is the very nature of God. It is the way God moved, moves towards his people from generation to generation. So the promise that came in Genesis 3 of, of sending this, this baby, that was God's mercy. And the promise of a king that would sit on David's throne in the Exodus story, in the promised land, in the Passover lamb, in the story of David and Goliath. All of this book that we call scriptures points towards the character of God. And so Keshet is woven throughout this entire book to help us see this unfailing, relentless love of an Abba, Abba father. And so Mary encapsulates the message of Christmas by using one word, a loaded word so full of meaning for each one of us. So Mary responds to this amazing invitation. A, she responds with an affirmative. She says yes, but then she glorifies the Lord because she knows that God is thinking of her and she knows that he loves her with this unfailing, relentless, extravagant, furious love of an Abba father. And it allows her in the midst of this amazing invitation to say yes to God. If she didn't know this about God, she wouldn't have been obedient or she at least would have shown fear and not excitement. The truth is Mary took the time to remember she had taken the time to remember. She remembered all that God had done in her life and in the life of the people of God. She had this understanding. If you read the rest of the song, you see Mary pointing towards an understanding of God's movement towards her people. And it's you and I, we need to sometimes stop and remember. We need to remember and, and, and allow God to remind us of all he's done. But sometimes we just have to remember how amazing the Christmas story is and how it reminds us of this merciful God who sends his son to each one of us. Mary knew about God's unfailing, relentless love. Mary knew that God loved her so deeply that what, what he was asking her to do was, was okay, even though she was going to be shamed the rest of her life. And we see this actually in the scripture. So some 30, a little bit more than 30 years later, little baby Jesus grows up and he goes back to his hometown and he's teaching in his hometown. And the people that says they wouldn't accept his teaching and what they said is, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't Mary his mother? And they refused to accept his teaching. You know what they were saying? We remember your story, Mary. We remember that you got pregnant out of wedlock. We know what kind of person you are. We know who, where this Jesus came from. We know that he's just an illegitimate baby. We know all that. And so there is this picture of shame that laid over Mary for the rest of her, her, her natural life. There is this, I mean, Mary was a scandal in a small town. Wherever she went, people talked. Yet she was able to glorify the Lord. She was able to make God known to others. It's an amazing picture of, of knowing God and knowing the character of God and entrusting yourself to an Abba Father that loves you with a furious love. So Mary knows that God sees her. Mary knows that God loves her and he know, she knows that he's trustworthy. She remembers and she marvels at her, 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 the story of her people. So if you look at verse 51, 
This is Mary remembering what God has done. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. 52, he has brought down rulers from the throne. She's remembering the story of her people, 54 and 55. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary remembers the mercy of God towards God's people. She remembers his promise of unfailing, abundant Generous love. I said it a few times already, but the invitation that's given to Mary is given to each one of us. And Mary's song can be our song. Mary makes it clear that while she is unique among women, that she is just a humble servant. That God is the one that did this for her. She knows her humble past, and yet God chooses to use her. So she reminds us of this in her song. So she says, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She writes, his mercy extends to those who fear him. Or to, 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 you know, what it means to fear God is just to know that you desperately need him. If you have a fear of God, you know without God, nothing else really matters. She writes, he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the rich away empty. To be humble is to recognize your need from God, to recognize that you can't get this done on your own, that if God doesn't show up, nothing else matters. Humility is not shame, it's not weakness, it's not timidity, it's knowing you need God. And so she writes, those who know that they're hungry for God, they're filled with good things. Those who know that they have a need for God, God shows up and gives them, she uses the word riches. And then she says, those who are rich. You know what that is? Those are the people who think they got it all figured out. Those are the ones that think they don't need a God that says they go away empty. There is this picture of, of, of coming to God with humility and knowing that we desperately need God in order to make life happen. When we cry out to God, he shows his mercy. He shows his unfailing love, kashed. He lifts us up and he gives us good things, way better things than we could ever ask or imagine. Sometimes it's the children that give us the greatest lessons and show us how it works to walk with God. And um, the scriptures say the child shall lead them. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And... Um, profound moment for me this week was reading a story of one of our boys from SOAR. Last, last Sunday, if you were here, I talked about lots of stories from Impact and how God had moved in the lives of different individuals. Um, and this is just another one of those stories of how uh, what we give to Impact pays off in such a profound way. But this is written by an 11-year-old boy who's been coming to SOAR for quite a while. Um, and this is a young man who has struggled. Both his parents um, have made life choices such that they can't really raise him. Um, So he's being raised by an aunt. Um, His aunt has been incredibly sacrificial in the way she has loved uh, this young man. She brings him to SOAR every week. She brings him to church. Uh, It's really just an amazing story. But suffice it to say, this young man's had a rough, rough story for sure. But God's on the move in his life. So he writes in his journal, and, and Colleen brought the journal up to me and gave me a copy of it, I think just because I needed it for my own edification but these are the words of this 11 year old boy he says it's Christmas and my family celebrates with Jesus in our house he writes all of a sudden something pops in my head something peaceful something delightful something powerful 
the birth of Christ. That's it. I found the one and only person to live in my heart. Then I was astonished at the way I felt. I felt as if a sword poked me a little bit. I heard a still but very deep voice. It was Jesus trying to tell me something. He told me to pray, so I did. Dear God, please accept me as your child. I love you. And then I said the most powerful thing. Lord, I accept you as my glorious Savior. Please save me. Amen. Here's the beauty. Mary said yes. It's an amazing invitation from God who sees her, who knows what's best for her, who loves her with this unfailing, relentless love, and he offers an invitation to her, and she says yes. And this young man, God offers an amazing invitation to him, and he says yes. And I believe that today there are people in this room who hear the invitation of God, and it's time for you to say yes. It's time for you to stop resisting the amazing invitation of an Abba Father who loves you beyond your wildest imagination and says, look, will you just accept my son? I know it's scary, but I love you in such a way you can move into this. And it's such a beautiful picture of what Christmas is really all about. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing that song that we ended with one more time. But I want to remind you, it, it takes a humble spirit to pray that prayer, to say, God, I can't do this without you. Dear Jesus, I need you. Like this young man, God, will you be my savior? It's really that simple. It's recognizing a need for God and inviting him into your life. I want to make sure you know something that regardless of where you are, if the holiday seasons are awesome and you are giddy with excitement, or if you've been sort of sad this Christmas, uh, regardless of where you are, there's an invitation for you to know Jesus more, to experience Jesus more. And all you need to do is say yes to Jesus. So the band's going to play, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down now and be down at the front of the room. And if you desire for somebody to pray with you, great. If you want to pray that prayer sitting in your seat and just surrender your life to God, great. We would love to know that you did that. But I want to invite you. You may just want to come down and get recentered and leave whatever you need to leave here so that you can experience Christmas the way God wants you to experience Christmas. Lord, thanks for this young man. Thanks for how he taught me this week to surrender again, to let go again. Lord, help us to have hearts of a child to just fall into our daddy's arms and say, I need you. And I pray for the people who Christmas is hard. Pray that you would show up in a mighty way, that you would show them that you are mindful of them, that you love them with an unfailing love. Lord, thanks for the baby and how Jesus represents the greatest movement of love ever displayed. Help us to just rest in that. I pray for the people who feel the nudge right now to give their lives to Christ, that they would be willing to do that brave enough to share that with us so that we can be on the journey with them. So as we sing, help us to rejoice. Help us to experience the living God. In Jesus' name.